All right. Well, listen, everybody. Let's uh, let's get let's get going here. I think we've got a had a pretty good pretty good time for waiting. If anybody ends up joining us, they end up joining us. Uh, first of all, I'm thankful for all of you uh, coming by. Um, as always, as we're going through this stuff, um, never hesitate to to have a question, raise a hand, and and we'll we'll get into all that stuff. I'm more than happy. Um, to talk about stuff that we have laid out, any recipe questions, technique on the brewing side, anything like that. So um, please just let me know uh, if there's any additional stuff that you would like to know of what we're covering. So uh, this is our beer school class on IPA. And I wanted to kind of start off by talking about what IPA is, because it's been a style that has been evolving for some time. You know, if you think about IPA, I don't know how long uh, all of you have been drinking craft beer, but if you go back to like the 1990s, IPA was definitely darker. It was a little bit close to golden to even amber. Um, a very, very bitter beer, you know, definitely a 7% beer, sometimes a little bit higher, but real firmly bitter. When it comes to malt character, there might be some, because it was a little bit darker, there might be some, some caramel malts in there, which is just like it sounds like. Malts that are going to be adding caramel flavors and residual sweetness to your beer. Maybe some toasty malts like Munich that's kind of making a much more malt-forward beer rather than a beer that's focused on hot flavor and aroma. And so as that style has evolved, we kind of started with that darker beer. Not like really dark, but darker. And then increasingly, we've been moving toward paler versions of IPA and ultimately on into hazy IPA, which is kind of the biggest, hottest version of the whole thing. Um, just kind by kind of a show of hands, how many people are hazy IPA people as opposed to West Coast? When I say West Coast, we're talking about like more assertively bitter. And when I say hazy, we're talking about the beers obviously hazy, um, less clear, but then like more flavor and aroma forward. Are, are, do we have like hazy fans here? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and this is—I mean, this is really where that, this is really where that style is going. You know what I mean? Increasingly, beers within this style are hazy, um, and I do think ultimately it's about people's desire for approachable beer. When you walk in and look at a tap list, you're seeing more and more fruited beers, more and more tart beers, hazy IPAs. And then even in some case, one of the things I was surprised by coming here, because I am not, uh, I moved here for this job. I moved here from Michigan and I was surprised with how much lager I can serve here. So whether it be a super accessible, like uh, Mexican lager, something you throw a lime in, our, our service staff always says cartuchos, like um, good, what's the one, the clear glass bottle that you throw the lime in? Corona, they say it's good Corona. Right. So super approachable. It's beer, beer. Right. But even Munich Hellas. So like light German beers, um, amber German beers, darker German lager, all that stuff sells really well here. And I think in part it's because they're really approachable beers and they're tasty and they go well with food. And so it's been cool. It's been interesting to see with IPA kind of the shift going away from these really aggressively bitter beers to beers that are much more featuring hot flavor and aroma. A lot of times when people say, I don't like IPA, what they're really saying is, I don't like bitterness, okay? And hazy IPA really leans on the other two primary aspects of a hoppy beer, which is flavor and aroma. 
And especially with the hops that we're using in these beers, we're looking at a situation where most people like tropical fruit. Most people like citrus fruit, things like that. So that, that really helps to make those beers approachable. When we actually talk about the nuts and bolts of making these beers, um, we, we start off by talking about malt really quickly. I talk about on the sheet that we use a pale malt or a base malt. If you want to think about making a beer in, like in, in the range of like cooking um, or in food, base malt is like your white bread or like a saltine cracker. All right. You can you can start to toast that and get into toastier malts, things like that. But base malt, which these beers are almost always basically built out of, are paler. Um, you can throw in some wheat and oats as we have listed on your sheet here. Wheat and oats are a really big part of hazy IPA, which we'll be tasting as we go. Um, hazy IPA relies a little bit on protein from wheat and oats to help throw some of that haze. And so the haze in a hazy beer is really important because it's actually the haze that's helping to carry the flavor and aroma, the hot flavor and aroma in that beer because it's actually those hot oils that are sticking to that, those little haze particles. And that's actually the flavor and aroma carrier for that beer. So the malt, the malt bill on, on an IPA can actually be really important in how much it communicates um, hot flavor and aroma to you. Um, some of the stuff that we're gonna see in general when we talk about hops. Uh, how many people have ever seen either hot pellets or a hop cone or anything like that? Hop cones basically just look like a leafy pine cone. All right, they're, they're built the same way. Um, and the hops that we're using for American IPA, hazy IPA, a lot of it comes down to where they're grown. What we're looking to see out of those hops are things like citrus, pine, herbal, sometimes under that blanket of herbal, especially if they're grown in Pacific Northwest, you can get kind of like a heavy cannabis note with that stuff. And then on into the tropical range, sometimes piney as well. So you can kind of get this big arc of flavor and aroma out of these hops that we're using. When it comes to growing hops in the United States, we're specifically focused on the Pacific Northwest and kind of the, the flavors that we get out of that region are going to be citrus, pine, and herbal. And a lot of those hops that you're going to see in these beers, the primary ones you'll see today are Citra and Mosaic. Those are, the, those are some of the big American hops right now. But you can also see Simcoe in there and the sea hops, whether that be Cascade, Centennial, and a, a range of others. All right. The interesting thing with hops, though, is like when you're talking about with wine, we'll talk about things like... Um, like terroir with the grapes. So if you're growing grapes in France and you take a cutting off that and then grow it in the United States, those grapes are going to taste and smell different because of what they're pulling from the soil. The interesting thing with these Pacific Northwest hops, they're explicitly making citrus, pine, herbal, things like that. You take hops that are derivative off that and grow them in the southern hemisphere in New Zealand, you're going to be pulling tropical notes, white wine, melon, things like that. Some of those big hops you can pull from there are Nelson Sauvin, Nectaron, Montueca, and, uh, and those. How many people have ever heard of those hops in those range? Any of those stick out to you? What are some of the ones that you've heard of from, the, from that range? I've got to 
Yeah. Yeah. I work at Wilson Coors, so we do that that's an interesting thing because and that that's one of those that they they really lean on that variety of uh columbus it's a, it's a high alpha acid hop so one of the reasons that we use hops in the brewing process is they do contribute bitterness uh, beer always has sweetness on the back end of it and you have to figure out a way to balance that and so we use bitterness from hops um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's one of the primary drivers right there because Columbus is a really high alpha acid and uh, the higher alpha acid a hop is, uh, the more likely it is to contribute bitterness into, into the finished beer. Let me see if I can. Excuse me. Could you tell uh, Amanda or the bar that we're ready uh, to start pulling these four beers off the sample for uh, Porus for everyone? They're listed right at the bottom. Awesome, thank you. So we kind of talked about the malt with these beers, uh, the hops that we use, and then jumping into kind of an increasingly larger player. Typically, when we talk about yeast for IPA, we're gonna be talking about the Chico yeast strain or American ale yeast. American ale yeast is known as being a really clean fermenter. And what we mean by that is by a clean fermenting yeast, it doesn't contribute a lot of flavors or aromas of its own to the beer. So really what you're tasting and smelling is the malt, the hops, and, and that's it really, okay? But what's been happening interestingly with this kind of hazy beer craze that we've seen is people are using British ale yeast, specifically a strain kind of universally known as London 3, um, there's a, a range of different British yeasts that are used, but London 3 is really popular because it's not as clean as Chico. What it does is it creates these things called esters, which are fruity smelling. And so the interesting thing is when you combine the fruity esters of London 3 with the fruit character of these hops, it makes this really bright, juicy, juicy smelling and tasting beer. So we're moving away from like using cleaner ale yeast and actually using yeast that will help to contribute to the overall hot profile on these beers. Now, another wrinkle, and depending on how people feel about things, um, there are some new genetically modified yeast strains right now that unlock certain things in hops and malt and that really tend to make like this big passion fruit, grapefruit thing. So you can use hops that don't generate these fruity flavors and the yeast can actually unlock things within them and make fruity beers out of it. It's kind of interesting. Um, and just from a brewer's standpoint, whether we're talking about new hop varietals, things that are coming out on these with these new genetically modified, they're called thiolized strains. There's a lot of interesting things going on as far as the ingredient sides for, for us brewers. And so there's a lot of stuff that we can do to play around with um, and experiment with. So uh, yeah, that's, that's cool for us. So that's kind of a, a baseline breakdown on what we're looking at a little bit raw materials wise when we're making IPA. Um, are there any questions about what we've talked about so far?
All right. They should be bringing up our sample soon. So what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of talk through kind of like our process for evaluation with these beers. Um, how many people have ever seen people um, evaluate wine? Right. So you'll, you'll see somebody take a sip. Um, sometimes you'll see them. Have you ever seen like people tilt their head down and then draw Aaron through the wine? Right. And they'll draw in. Um, how many people have done this? How many people are wine tasters and they do things like this? Okay. How did do you feel super comfortable doing it? Or was it just fun? It's one of those things. It, it's just what you do. Sometimes I, I've done the wine tasting thing with people and sometimes people are looking around at everybody else and seeing if they're doing it as well. Um, this is one of those things. You can do those things. One of the things that's interesting with beer, though, is it doesn't have to be tasted with the same approach that you do with wine, okay? So what you're trying to do when you're doing either swishing or drawing air through the wine, you're trying to open up that wine in your palate, right? These are things that don't have to be done with beer um, because of the fact that it is carbonated and it has like its own life. It has its own effervescence, right? So one of the things that I like to do before, like when I'm doing a beer tasting, I like to get the beer in front of me. Um, we're going to be tasting out of sample glasses tonight, and those those work fine. If you if you really want to kind of go to the next level with it, I like actually using snifters, so like a goblet, so like a goblet style, because the interesting thing is, and you might even be able to see with the tasting glasses that we're going to use tonight once you get like halfway through the sample and you actually have a chance to swirl it, you're going to really be able to increase the surface area of that beer. And it really does, it really does aid you in, uh, in smelling that beer. Okay. So sometimes you'll see like, um, you'll get like the spirit pour in a much larger glass. That's all the surface area game. It's not just someone trying to look pretentious, even though, believe me, you can. You just sit there and swirl it. I think that was one of the first things that I did as a younger man. You know what I mean? You're, you just, my, my oldest just turned 21. Um, he won't watch this anyway, so I don't have to worry about him seeing this and being embarrassed. But for him, a big thing was being able to say, hey, do you want to have a cigar and, you know, like have a beer or something? For him, that was like him leveling up and then we were like on a playing field now and he was much more comfortable, which is beautiful because it's always good to be close to your kids. So but anyways, um, I remember, you know, like you get that pour like in the thing and you swirl it and you feel like, you know, like you're wearing a smoking jacket with an ascot and uh, you feel like you're taking it to the next level. But uh, but yeah, so that having that larger glass can actually help. Sometimes people don't like, sometimes people are a little threatened by like that footed glass. So it has the foot and then it has like the, the tulip shape on top. Don't be afraid of those glasses. Um, it doesn't say anything. Sometimes we've, you know, like you serve that glass to a guy and they're like, I don't feel like I want to be. It's like, it's okay. It'll, you'll be all right. You'll still be just as, as masculine as you were before you started drinking out of this class. But there, there is a real utility to that. Like when you get into Belgian beers, you're gonna see them and they'll actually have that tulip opening at the top. Those beers are great for that. Um, it, it's a really good way to do it. I'm a strong believer that if you take a beer in a tulip glass, 
or something where there's some headspace. And you, you actually want to see that glass actually close back in because it can help to kind of hold in aromas. You may see some people do, um, some, sometimes when people are really hardcore and whether like in a judging situation, you'll see somebody cover the glass and then swirl the glass on the table and then smell off the top of that. I won't say that you need to do that. Listen, you take this stuff as far as you want. Okay, but some people really want to try to concentrate that aroma in that headspace. Okay, so you can do things like that. The other thing you can do is you can kind of do like some level of a progressive sniff. All right, I've just made up the term progressive sniff, but but I'm all right with it. Um, a lot of times when you when you smell a beer, you just want to dive right in. Okay. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with it. What I will say is what you might find is if you go further away from the beer and like take smaller sniffs. So think about like you don't have to be as exaggerated as your dog, but dogs take small sniffs, right? And so you can actually take smaller sniffs on your way in and you're going to find, and especially an IPA and hopefully an IPA, you're going to be able to smell that beer far before that beer is, is right up in your snout. Okay, um, because these beers are supposed to be really expressive aromatically. So you can do smaller sniffs further away and you can do the full on dive in. What you're going to find is when you do things like that, you can you can smell a wider range a wider range of elements of the beer. Okay, now smell is people throw out all sorts of bogus. It's like when you see those like memes online it'll be like a it'll be like a picture of abraham lincoln and then like a quote next to him about how but it's not a quote from him and it's completely made up um i feel like sometimes people will say uh smell is 90 percent of taste or 70 percent of taste i think it's a made-up number but i will say that it is a really large portion of of the whole overall sensory thing so you want to smell up front and then you can taste. And one of the things that I think you'll find is as you're tasting, you're actually going to build up more concentrated aroma in, because, you, you, because your mouth, you, you know, your tasting palate and your nose are all connected. So as you're actually sampling that beer, those aromas and flavors will actually start to get more intense as your palate gets actually kind of saturated by it, but then you're breathing through your, you're breathing through your nose and talking. Um, so your sense of taste on that beer and smell will actually intensify as you, as you sample. Um, when we get the glasses out here and there is a difference between tasting and drinking, they are four ounce pour. I, maybe four or five. I do know that some, sometimes people take four or five ounce drinks. Um, I would encourage you to not do that for the purpose of what we're doing. Um, maybe, maybe sample through the first bit and then knock that back if, if you're so inclined. But um, because there is a difference between sampling and tasting and drinking, right? Um, I think there's a time and place for both, all right? Um, I don't know if anybody knows anybody that's super... Like all they want to do is talk about the beer in front of them. And that's great. There can be a time and place for that. But I did hear an interview one time with this guy who was a lager brewer. He made a lot of German Hellas. And he said, my goal is, he said, at some point, 
I hope that the person in front of you is more interesting than the beer you're drinking, right? So sometimes there's times for tasting and discussion, and then sometimes there's time for just talking to the people that you're with as well. This is a tasting thing, so we'll take it from a tasting standpoint. One of the things that you're going to find is as we get those first few um, sniffs down, to, we get through the smelling portion, we get into the taste portion, um, what you're going to find is you are going to be able to get a better feel for what the finish of the beer is. So when you're done drinking that beer, how does that beer sit on your palate? Is it sweet and heavy? Is it? Yes, please. And you can just do half course on it, please. Yes. Um, so you can kind of see like the weight of the beer on your palate. Like sometimes I've, been, I've had a pint of beer and I get halfway through it and the beer is kind of just so heavy on my palate. I'm kind of wishing I had a different beer. That is kind of what we're talking about when we talk about what the finish of the beer is like. Okay. Um, so how, and the, does the bitterness carry through? Is it sweet through the finish? Is it dry through the finish? Um, things like that. Um, and then we'll talk about overall how the beer is balanced. IPA is a style that is inherently unbalanced, okay? If you got a pour of our Up the Hill, our, our German Helles, that is a nice little balanced beer. It's bready, crackery, just enough bitterness to keep it even between the sweetness and the bitterness, and you can probably drink a whole lot of it, okay? IPA is not built like that. IPA is meant to be aggressive. Now we kind of talked about how IPA is not as bitterly as as not as aggressive uh, in the range of bitterness as it used to be, but still, it's supposed to be really bold on the flavor and aroma side, right? Because that that's what we're that's what we're coming here for, um, as far as these beers go. So, um, without further ado, let's uh, let's jump in here. Any questions on anything we just covered? How, how long into it is it? It's 26 minutes. You had some, some stuff to go before, so I hope I didn't keep you too long. But let's start with SA or Sabo all the way on the left, I believe, of your sample tray. Go ahead and give that a little bit of a sniff. Um, if you would like to kind of drink, yeah, you can set it right there. If you would like to kind of drink yourself some headspace in here, um, just so we can get a more robust aromatic expression. If you want to drink it down a little bit, we can revisit the aromatics, but you can see with my sample um, that this beer is hazy. You're not going to see like particular digits through this. Um, and this is kind of, you know, how this beer style goes, right? We're going to look for a range of bold hot flavors and aromas off the nose on this. So let's dive in and we're gonna go with this. Anything that you smell off this, just say it. And I'm not gonna be like, you're wrong. I'm not gonna get furious. It's really just about saying what you think you might smell. And we kind of talked about a range of things on here and you can kind of use that as a cheat sheet. Ah. <laughs> oh. That may seem ridiculous that I'm laughing about this. I haven't tasted this beer in a little bit. Um, I haven't tasted this beer in a little bit. So just FYI, um, like within the last several months, I realized that um, I don't know whether it's getting worse or not. Um, there's there's a handful of our beers that I can't drink um, because I'm increasingly uh, gluten intolerant. Um, and so there are some beers that I can drink here because I use a thing that helps to break down the gluten. 
Um, and so that's cool for me. Um, but I don't think any of these beers I can actually drink. Um, but I know them well. Uh, so, but to come back to them, it's, it's exciting. So what I love about this, tell me anything that you, and you can be general if you want. Don't worry about being super specific. What are some things that we're smelling off this? Orange, pine, citrus. Yeah, great descriptors. This is a great example of what London 3, this is what we were talking about. So kind of this, this thing with Hazy right now, it's a lot of beers are made with London 3. This is a great example of what these esters, these fruity aromas made by the yeast in complement with the hops smells like. So uh, Sabo, uh, the last time I brewed this, I'm pulling out the brew sheet because I'm prepared. Had uh, a whole bunch of citra and mosaic in this. All right. These are two hops that go great with this ester profile um, of London 3. So, yeah, we kind of get that that big. Um, on a, so, if you were to say high, medium, or low, what do you think the fruit aromatics are on something like this for you? And you can throw in medium, high, medium, low, whatever. About medium for you? Yeah. About medium? Anybody else? On medium? Nice. So here's a question. What do you think? You, and be honest. So I'm not an IPA yes. fan at all. Yeah. And to me, this almost tastes like an air like sour. Okay. okay. And so this is this is what a, one of the things that... Okay. So my wife, when she drinks IPA... It's so bitter to her that it almost gets like bile-like. Okay, so like pukey. Not to be, not to be, not to be, not to be unpleasant, right? But so, honestly, the reason, probably the reason you don't like IPA is you taste that at a higher threshold than most people do, right? And so like my wife can, I'll give her beers that have borderline no bitterness in them. And she goes, oh, that's bitter for me. So really what it is, is, and so the interesting thing is, is the likelihood of you being in the range of what people call like a super taster, because people have different levels of like sensory receptor as far as tastes go, you're, you more readily taste that stuff. So if this beer is like bitter on that level for you, you just taste it more readily than other people do. So that's as much of that beer as you should drink, right? Exactly. Excellent. 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 But you can still smell, right? Okay, yeah. so, great, absolutely. So now, one of the things that you might pull off of a beer like this. So, one of the things I would say is, if you want to kind of weigh the body of a beer like this, you can drink some, allow it to work around your palate, okay? I also, and this is some of this area where it might seem strange. I like to get make sure that I'm getting that beer between my lips and my gums. So, I want that everywhere. So, it, you don't have to do a full-on swish like we do with wine. Right, but we do want to make sure it's covering the palate. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll drink a beer like this, and then I'll actually push my tongue against the the back of my teeth and roof of my mouth in the front, and you can actually feel like viscosity that way. Okay, and also after you're done drinking, you might actually be able to feel viscosity. And the reason why I say this is you might be able to feel viscosity between your gums and your teeth as well. All right, now. 
this is really easy to do with a beer like if you went up and grabbed a pour of Excalibur. It's this barrel-aged imperial stout that we have. It has a bunch of residual sugar in it, so it has some sweetness to it, and has a lot of body in it. And so you can just feel that viscosity, right? That softness, that creaminess of it. Um, this will probably not be on this level, but this is one of the things that you're looking on pushing on a hazy beer like this. One of the things that we do is, just from a water chemistry standpoint, because water is important in hazy beer, we push up chloride. And I use calcium chloride and actually kosher salt, okay? But both things, because I'm looking to push up chloride. What chloride can help do in a beer like this is in increase that impression of softness in the beer and a little bit of viscosity. So this beer is supposed to all be about softness and round edges. It's not supposed to be bitter, sharp, crisp. That's not the style at all. So we're leveraging the water chemistry and loading it with calcium chloride, pushing those chloride numbers up to make it rounder and softer. So if you do push, if, if you do feel like a softer impression on your palate, part of that is uh, the water chemistry that we're using as well. Great question. So the question was whether or not we use uh, RO water, and we don't. What we have had happen recently is, is they did just change our water um, on municipal level. And so I have a hot liquor tank back there, just a hot water tank, and it stays hot all the time. And we used to have a ton of um, temporary hardness in the water. And so when I, would do, um, when I would do my scheduled cleans on that hot water tank, I would have like egg, like eggshell scale in the bottom of that thing. And I would actually have to cool it down and actually have to get in to take the volume of it out because it's crazy. And then we could run our cycle to get the scale off the walls. We just ran our cycle on it the other day and there was a little bit of scale, but I think it was because it's, that's the difference in, we still had a little bit of the old water that we had been using for a while. Um, so no, we do not use RO water, plenty of people do. And so you wanna be building back up your calcium, your chloride, sometime magnesium. So yeah, you're, you're building back up from zero um, and that can be really helpful. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of, uh, no, we just use what we get from the city and it is carbon filtered. And then I use uh, a spreadsheet, a water spreadsheet that helps me do all my calculations. So yeah, yeah. Any other questions on Sabo? Before we move on along. The way you feel about the bitterness of this, I'm the same way with malt. I don't like multi beers. That's why I like ideas. They're all usually all hot. Sure. 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 Do you find like? Do you find saying that you prefer IPAs to maltier beers? When, you, when you're drinking maltier beers, are they kind of like, like heavier, kind of like flabby or like less crisp? Is that, is that what you find with them? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. When you mentioned Guinness, it's Yeah. It's all personal preference. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so let's take a look at the next beer, and this is Freak Beat. Again, uh, we have that available in, I believe, in cans up there uh, as well. 
this is this is an interesting this is an interesting beer um, because this beer uh, is still another hazy beer and um, what are we what are we smelling off this mango all right what else that's a great descriptor for that mango maybe like a little bit of banana as well yep what else I think you might be able to pull a little bit of passion fruit off of this too. I think if you go between Sabo and Freak Beat, I do think there's like a little bit of a, and the strange thing is, so, and I'll use this talking about other stuff. So like grapefruit is more intense than uh, melon, than cantaloupe, right? Like they're just more intense flavors, right? Um, passion fruit can be pretty bright, um, but uh, it may not necessarily be as bold as some of the other flavors, but this one has kind of a little different nuance to it. Um, this beer is uh, a blend of mosaic and a, and a hot called Idaho 7, um, but this beer is also made with thialized yeast that we talked about before, okay? And so this right here, this kind of, um, and I would say for, for my palate, I would say the uh, the passion fruit kind of comes in on the tail end a little bit, um, but yeah, for my palate, um, this one is a little bit more in that tropical range, and you can explicitly pin that on the biolized strain that we use for that. Um, so go ahead and and do any smelling, sipping, and tasting on this. So uh, there's a there's a question that somebody popped in out of the chat, and it's a little bit more on the recipe side. There's a there's a malt called uh, called RAR, and they're saying that that uh, we we had mentioned before that these hazy beers can use wheat and oats in part because they're higher in protein, and we said that protein can actually be a flavor and aroma carrier in these hazy beers. Um, they said they heard that some of the RAR malts are so high in protein on their own, the base malts that you might not have to use wheat or oats or different things like that. Very possible. I, I know, so we have some issues with, because you know barley is an agricultural product. There were some barley issues last year, maybe it was the year before. Um, and so we were getting higher protein malts and that's typically something that we don't want, uh, but it is something that is not necessarily bad for making um, hazy type beers. Um, so that is possible because I do know some of my, some of my brewer friends that have been rolling to using a higher protein base malt in order to help uh, facilitate some of that stuff. Um, any takes on this beer? What are your thoughts on it? Maybe even comparison into Sabo. Are there any uh, intensity differences that you're noticing? A little bit more bitter than Sabo? It, is, that, is that kind of a universal thing? Is this beer more bitter than the first one? You can just throw a hand up. Sure, you feel like that passion fruit helps to lift that up in the end. Yep. Sure. Sure. 
Yeah, and so interestingly, and so you're spot on, this beer is built a little bit differently. And so there's uh, there's uh, less hops in Freak Peak. So yeah, you might actually see a difference between those two. Definitely. Definitely. All right, well, cool. Any questions on Freak Beat before we move on along? All right. So next beer we're going to be looking at, we are going to be looking at, actually, I'm having you skip that. Go to DG, Double Groove, on your thing. Don't do RB. Double Groove. Double Groove is a uh, double IPA. And how I build my double IPAs is um, one thing I, and this is a personal preference thing for me. I don't like it when beers that are higher ABV, I believe Double Groove is closer to 9% or is this 8? 8%. Um, I don't like when higher ABV beers um, get too sweet okay and so the terminology that i would be using is so if, if you want to think about when i'm talking about sweetness and dryness in a beer think about the cocktail world and think about um think about using utilizing simple syrup okay so if you have acidity in in your cocktail a, a citrus thing whatever a lot of times they'll back that up with a little bit of simple syrup what we find is a lot of times is Sweetness is, it's the great magnifier, okay? If you take a malty beer, um, something that's not featuring hops, something that has like some bready, caramely, and maybe some roasty notes, and you make that really dry, that's going to taste potentially maybe a little bit harsh if it's a stout, if it has roasted malts in it. Um, but if you take a stout and you start dialing up the sweetness, it starts tasting more chocolatey more like coffee, okay? So it intensifies those flavors. In the same way that if you're talking about like dry cider, hard cider, or dry wine. Dry hard cider tastes like wine. If you take dry hard cider and make it sweet or pour simple syrup into it and mix it, it tastes like apple juice, all right? Dry wine tastes like wine. Sweet wine tastes like grape juice or whatever it is, right? And so that's what sweetness is doing for us here, okay? And so I, I think that's that really interesting thing about sweetness. Now, sweetness, when it's too high, I also believe you wanna have enough sweetness in a beverage. If you're trying to push fruit flavors, you want enough sweetness that you're magnifying fruit flavors. But if you go too far, it starts getting too sweet and difficult to drink, all right? now. I respect this company. I think they make great beers. I'm trying to think of something that people might know, but maybe not offend anybody in the area that I know. Um, Founders, if you've ever had Founders beers, they have a beer called Rubeus. Rubeus is a polarizing beer for some people. It's a raspberry beer. For some people, they can have one, and then that's it because it's too sweet. Some people can drink them all day. Some people can only have a couple sips. But that's what we're talking about. In general, people love sweet things, all right? Bless their hearts, everything like that. I tend to, I tend to always want to make things. My goal as a brewer is I want to make a beer 
that the only thing that stops you from drinking it is your prudence. Okay. I never want you to be halfway through a beer and like, I can't, it's too sweet or it's too whatever. Right. Like I, I, I want to, I want as many people as possible to be able to drink my beers. Okay. Um, so anyways, um, so when it comes to making double IPA, if I made a double IPA where all the alcohol, where all the sugar was coming from malt, I'm concerned that I'm going to be making a beer that is too sweet because for a lot of malts, only about 80% of the malt sugars are fermentable. So there's 20% that's unfermentable that's going to stay in the finished beer. If I just keep stacking up all that sugar in that beer and at continuing to add unfermentable sugar, I'm going to have a sweeter and sweeter beer. All right. So what I do is I will typically cut 20% or not cut, but I'll add 20% of the sugar to that beer and I'll make it dextrose, just corn sugar because dextrose is 100% fermentable. So what I'm really doing is, is I'm taking a 7% beer and I'm adding enough dextrose to it to make it a 9% beer or an 8% beer. And what I'm doing is, is I'm keeping it as, and it's gonna have the same amount of body or weight to the beer as the 7% beer does or 6% beer. All right, so even because it's a 9% beer, I don't, I still want you to be able to drink multiple and it's up to you to know when to stop, right? That's, that's on you, right? It's 9%, you know it, it's up to you. But really, that's the idea. Like, and one of the things I think is, so this is a big Bach area, right? Doppelbach, Bach, Doppelbach, whatever. Um, I like to make approachable versions of those. When it's 7%, those beers are served in liters, okay? You're supposed to be able to drink a liter of that. Um, fest beers, Oktoberfest, stuff like that. You're supposed to be able to drink a liter of it. I think it's kind of an American notion with getting really aggressive where maybe when you get on the bigger ends of the style, it's, you can drink less volume of it. All right. But I kind of like that notion of keeping things approachable. So double groove is an 8% beer. And sometimes that might imply like a really like a heavier, sweeter beer, but this should still drink like the other IPAs we've been drinking. So let's talk about what we're smelling and tasting off of this. Let's dive in. What are you smelling? What are you tasting? <laughs> Smells like beer. Smells like beer. A little sweetness off of it. What about in the flavor? Like white wine? Okay. Yeah, I mean that that's that's absolutely possible. This is uh, this is a beer that we used um, some cryo citra, which is just like an advanced hot product of citra. Um, cryo just means that there's less green matter and more oils in it. Um, and we have Idaho seven and this was, uh, fermented with Heliogazer, one of these biolized strains. So if, you, if you're getting some tropical white wine things off of very possible, any thoughts on this beer, what's your impression? And again, like it doesn't have to be your favorite beer ever. I'm just interested in having the conversation about it. Just about eight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you feel like you can pull some of the ABV on it? Okay. Excellent. Yep. Now, do you pull ABV on it? So like, um, uh, he was saying that he feels like he can get some higher alcohol on that. And so a lot of times if you're tasting that alcohol and you're wondering what that sounds like when it, if the beer, if the beer tastes hot to you, 
Okay, so if it tastes like there's maybe a shot and a half of vodka in there, that's what I would say is hot, right? So kind of that fusily boozy type alcohol. But when you do start getting into higher ABV beers, you can taste alcohol on a beer without it being hot, okay? So there is kind of a range there of, of alcohol impression. So it's, it's very possibly pulling alcohol on this, and it may even be hot to some of you. Sure. Like a tr dry tangerine thing in the finish. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is kind of a goal for a beer like this with me. Like, I do want body-wise. I don't, it wouldn't surprise me if this might even drink uh, either as dry or maybe even a touch drier than some of the others. Um, but yeah, so. When I first started doing double IPA, and listen, I, th these aren't, these aren't, I'm sorry? Sure, sure. And, and just, you know, when I'm talking about all this stuff, like, I, I never want to give the impression. I, I always like to say, like, as brewers, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. Okay, so, like, I'm, I, I don't want anybody to think here or anybody listening that, like, I'm talking about inventing this stuff. That idea of adding dextrose to a double IPA, that's Vinny Chilerzo from Russian River. And I learned that, you know, 10 years ago when I was doing stuff. And I'm like, man, if I'm ever doing that, I'm doing this, right? And so you just learn things from, from different people. So that, that's a technique that I'm leveraging there. So, um, no, I do not spund any IPAs. Spunding is a way of doing pressure fermentation. Usually we just let the, the beer off gas and bubble off because it does off put CO2 during fermentation. Um, so it bubbles through a, a stainless steel bucket I have in there that's full of sanitizer and it's bubbles, bubbles. Um, spunding is a German term for uh, you will allow the beer to gas off, but it's at a higher pressure. Um, no, I don't do that uh, for these beers, um, but uh, I could. I, I know people are doing that with these beer styles. Um, any questions on Double Groove before we move on to our final beer, which is Red Blush? Interesting. All right. We also have 15 people on the live stream. I only announced this like two hours ago. So that's good. We've got, we've got people here. We've got people there. We've got people everywhere. So um, Red Blush is interesting. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about creating balance in beer again. Okay. So uh, Red Blush is uh, a 9% beer. And the official descriptor thing here says, citrus bright and juicy with real grapefruit plus complimentary hops designed to imbue a zest-driven sip while keeping it balanced and just right bitter. Again, a 9% uh, double IPA. Um, we're using air quotes here um, because um, you have to treat bitterness when you combine fruit and bitterness, you have to be careful. When you use real fruit, I don't think we realize how much acidity is in fruit. Um, so if any of you are pH people and this stuff will make sense to you, um, you know, the pH of our water here is around eight, which is relatively neutral. That's a little bit basic, but I, I think seven is like neutral. You start going lower than that, that's acidic. Uh, if you want to have your mind blown, I think like Coca-Cola is like a two, 
Um, it's acidic as hell. It's unbelievable. Um, you can remove scale off of things with Coke. Let's try not to think about it. Um, and uh, but so like the, the the acid I use back there, I think is the pH of four. So it's wild um, that uh, to, to clean things, it's a pH of four. Uh, so it, it, it's it's wild. But how they're balancing Coke is it's super acidic, but there's tons of sweetness. Right. And they have another balancing factor, which is interesting, which is carbonic acid, the carbonation. So well, I, I'm a little going far afield here, but this is this is how balance works with beer. If you if you have uh, a 20 ounce Coke, you drink half of it, you seal it back up. It's it's super hot outside. It's a day like today. You throw it in your car. You go into the mall for a couple hours. You come back out that Coke. When you open it back up, that Coke is basically flat now, right? And you drink it, and it's like you're drinking syrup. All right? That's the only difference is, is the carbonic acid has left, that, has left that liquid. And so that carbonic acid, acid balances sweetness. All right? So the reason we're talking about acid is real fruit brings acid along with it. The pH on raspberry can be down in the 2225 range. Crazy acidic. All right? That's like when, when, when you eat fruit that's not ripe, you don't like it at all because the sugar hasn't come up in it yet, right? So um, most of the fruit that we're using is uh, at most a pH of four, okay? So we're adding acid to the beer. There's certain things that balance a beer. We've been talking about bitterness, but now with a beer like this, we need to talk about acid, okay? You'll see tart beers that people serve. There's almost no IBU or perceivable bitterness in those beers because if you stack up bitterness from hops and you slap acidity from fruit, from real fruit on top of it, you're going to get a very minerally aspirin-like unpleasant bitterness in the beer, okay? This is what we're trying to avoid with a beer like this. I want to keep the bitterness low because I know I'm adding acidity on top of it with the real grapefruit that we're using. Okay, the build is very similar here. Um, this is getting this received 140, uh, 140 pounds of maybe 130 pounds of real grapefruit puree um, toward the tail end of fermentation. Um, and yeah, so let's let's jump into this one. Tell me what you're smelling and tasting, you guys. This is interesting to me. So don't worry about what you're going to throw out as far as flavor aroma. Grapefruit, honey. Okay, so let's push those two things together. I get like a candied grapefruit thing off of this. So like when you think about like, um, um, this isn't the exact thing, but those, those orange wedges, those gummy orange wedge candies that are coated in sugar, if you made that grapefruit, and then you slap all that sugar on top of it, I think it almost has like a candy type uh, appearance to it uh, in the nose. Uh, anything else? Okay, so you're saying you know it's heavier, meaning by, by heavier what? You know it's higher ABV? Okay. That's a victory for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, sure, sure. And I, that, See, and you can, you can get into like this, you can get into some, some rough waters on this between the beer people and the wine people and they can be, <laughs> but the interesting thing about beer is, and what beer has on wine and will always have on wine, we can create more, a wider range of flavors and aromas than they can with wine because wine is essentially grapes and yeast, right? And barrel. Okay, so you you can have you can have oak profile in there as well, right? And there's different, but the the range of the, the range of things that we can play with with beer is so much greater. And and we're even still talking about I'm still not talking about using adjuncts like. Um, Let's cut fruit out of it. Let's cut adding chocolate to beers and different things like that. Just the flavors and aromas you can create with malt. If you like dark fruit, I can do that with malt. If you like toasty coffee, I can do that with malt. If, if you like big roasty, bready, doughy, I can do all that stuff with malt. You can do smoky with malt, right? Like it's, it's crazy. So you, you can have a golden beer that smells like smoky. You know what I mean? Like barbecue. You know what I mean? So like the range, even so even with normal beer ingredients, without getting crazy with the things we use today, you know, you can still, you can make a wide range of things, man. And so like you had a great hospitality experience at a brewery because what I want to have is on, on a perfect beer menu for me, if somebody likes drinking alcoholic beverages... I should have something on that menu that can grab. That's that's the goal for a menu, right? Oh, I'm a wine drinker. You got to try this. Oh, I like this. You got to try this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't, I mean, I've always been in a for sure. For sure. For sure. All right. So any questions on red blush? I don't know. I don't know if we jumped too much into what, what we're smelling and tasting off this. How does this beer finish compared to the other ones? Are, are, do you find that there is some kind of some structural differences to it? Is the finish different? Less bitter? Does it, is it still balanced though? Do you feel like you could drink a pint of it? Okay. I mean, I can, I can, I, I knew that it was a higher. Angle sure. Yeah. 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 Sure. And to me, that's always like, 
you're not to me you're not drinking like in my mind you're not drinking the beer to taste alcohol you know it's in there and like maybe like with big barrel aged beers like it's a really expected component but if you're not pulling alcohol off a nine percent beer that makes me happy you know what i mean because it's generally only going to be seen kind of as a negative you know if it gets boozy you know or north of boozy right um any other things on this? How does this one uh, kind of stack up uh, to the other beers? Does everybody does everybody find this, or how many people find this beer less bitter than the other ones? Does anybody find this less bitter than the others? Does anybody find this one more bitter than the other? No, more bitter? So it's probably... To me, it's almost... Especially because with Alan, I try a lot of IPAs. But the more hot flavor, the more bitter it is Sure. Sure. So, like, to me, that finishes very poppy, yep. which to me is just a light taste. Of sure. It's sure. less of kind of the fruitiness. Yep. Like the start of these, there was a more balance sure. that I tasted because there was less of that pitch in the base with kind of the hot flavor. Yeah. So there was more of the sweetness component. But to this, it's more of a stronger pull to that hot flavor. Absolutely. And my guess is it's the fact that there's some of that real fruit on there stacking up and, and magnifying it for you. Definitely. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yes. So question, is there any wheat and oats in any of these beers? Yes. 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 And yes. So I actually, I actually did a live stream. I actually did a, um, I do a monthly live stream where I take questions, questions, and then give answers. I have homebrewers and pro brewers ask questions, whatever. And uh, and actually, I also do a monthly brewer interview. Um, I live stream and then it's a podcast. But we were talking about it on there, where somebody said like, "Is there a difference in your base recipe when you're making IPAs for your malt bill?" And he said he feels like it's a dirty little secret that breweries will basically use the same malt bill for different hazy IPAs. Uh, and the answer is yes. I mean, primarily, what I might be changing is the amount of base malt or the amount of sugar. And they're depending on what ABV I need the beer to be. But Red Blush has 165 pounds of wheat and 100 pounds of oats. 165 pounds of wheat and 150 pounds of oats for double groove, 150 oats, 165 wheat, 110 wheat, 150 oats. So it's all right in that range. When I'm making beers like this, I'm generally leaving about 20 to 25% of the grain that I'm, I use in these beers, uh, a blend of wheat and oats. Um, because really all I'm doing is, is this is just... This is just the tablecloth. That's not the meal, right? That's all the malt is doing in beers like this. It's setting the table. It's setting the table for pushing hot flavor and aroma. It's just meant to accentuate hot flavor and aroma. So we can have four different beers in front of us that are all different because I'm doing different things with the hopping rates, hot timing, hot varieties, and yeast selection, right? So, yeah. That's basically that. That's basically the deal there. And there's also a question: um, Are all of these beers beers? I can't taste any of these beers. Um, I uh, the product that I use, if you're brewing at home, is called uh, Clarity Firm. 
on the pro side, you would buy something called Brewer's Clarex. Um, it's just a, a more concentrated form of the product. Um, the original purpose of Clarex is to make a clear beer. And they actually found as a result, it actually drops gluten levels in a beer below 20 ppm, which makes it safe for not celiac, but gluten sensitive folks. So any beer that I make that is clear or meant to be clear, I use it in that up there and I can drink those beers with no problem. These hazy beers though, I don't. And I, I rely on uh, you know the team that I have back here to help me out with that stuff. But I also have memory of all these beers too. From, from before, so, yeah. Yeah, so the Brewer's Clarex is used as soon as you go to cold side. So most people say, uh, if I'm brewing, they think that we're brewing every day, we're not. Mostly we're cleaning, transferring beer, packaging beer. I brew probably two and a half times a week back here. Um, so on days when we're brewing, we are operating the hot side of the brewery where we're boiling and, and using hot water. Um, but when we get to the cold side of the brew house, the fermenters, and explicitly the heat exchanger. The heat exchanger is the first thing that hot wort hits after the kettle. We cool it there, and it is then room temperature roughly when we send it to a fermenter. The start of cold side, all of that, I would then add that to the top of the fermenter. So that's a, that's, it's an enzyme that breaks down those gluten particulates. Um, which makes a clear beer, but then also drops PPM of gluten. I add that as I'm adding yeast, as I'm filling uh, the fermenter up. I haven't found that it changes flavor at all, no. I started using it on our lager beers because I like to enter beer competitions. In beers that are supposed to be clear, you want to get clear as possible. I don't have a filter, so I, I try to leverage other things, um, other means of getting our beers clear. And I found that when I was using Clarex on our lagers, they were the clearest darn lagers we ever made. And so when, when you're judging a beer, you get a beer in a glass. And if, you're, if the beer is supposed to be super clear, brilliantly clear, and it's not, in my mind, you're already starting behind the eight ball. So if I could do those beers from a competition standpoint and just get a brilliantly clear beer, then I'm still, I'm still have a chance to bat a thousand. You know what I mean? I still have a chance for the A+. plus. So the idea was is to be using it on our lagers because we can get them really clear with it. Um, and so if there were going to be flavor and aroma changes in those beers, those are the beers that you're going to be able to tell in. Those, those, those less boldly flavored beers, um, those more gently flavored beers. So, um, and I know those beers well, and, and I haven't seen any, any differences with them. Any questions about the beers that we have been uh, talking about in here? Any other general beer questions? What you've been tasting? Any, anything that I've rambled on about? I have not tried to make a gluten-free IPA. If I were, um, so the, the challenge is centers around some of the labeling requirements for calling something gluten-free. In order to be actually gluten-free, you need to be producing a beer that has no, nothing that contains gluten in it. Okay, so you can't use barley, wheat, uh, different things like that. All the things that we use to make beer, you have to use atypical brewing grains. 
um, which is a challenge. Uh, I know more and more places are popping up that are doing that. And you're really only supposed to be using equipment that has only ever touched non-glutinous grains, okay? So you almost kind of need a standalone system and that goes all the way through packaging, right? So to be doing that, to be doing actual gluten-free beer, you almost need a separate brewery, okay? Um, so that's kind of one end of it. The other thing is, could I make gluten-reduced beers um, with this Clarex product? I could, but if I did, I would probably focus on making more of the West Coast style of IPA, which is clearer. So I'd be leveraging the ability to create clearer beer, or at least I wouldn't have to worry about you know, having a clear beer come up. It's, it's interesting from our standpoint because consumer expectation has changed as far as IPA goes. I remember making an IPA when I first got into the industry and it was hazy and I was freaking out because I'm like, what am I going to do? Nobody's going to drink this. It looks like dark crap, right? And now all, all, all IPAs are hazy, right? So it's a little bit of consumer expectation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if I were going to be doing a gluten-reduced IPA that I could drink, I would make a West Coast beer in case it made it clear. Um, I am itching a little bit to try to, to try to make a hazy and use Clarex with it and see what it actually what it actually ends up breaking down. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, believe, I believe it. I believe it. That is, I tell you what, that is that is the easiest uh, position to fill in the brewery. I found over the years, taste tester is uh, there's no shortage. There's no shortage of applicants for the job. Uh, any other questions, comments on anything we've been talking about tonight? Well, thank you, um, and uh, thank you for being a for being a, a good audience and and for good questions. And uh, I have to tell you, on a side note, um, I don't know if, if it's not everybody knows, but this is uh, tomorrow's my last day here. So this is kind of a, it's kind of a, it's kind of a strange thing. My family and I moved here from Michigan for this job, and uh, you know, I mean, listen, people, people change jobs. I'm going to be working over at Sonder. Um, so if, if you're if you're, if you're in the area, yeah, um, I'm going to be, I'm going to be nice, nice. They make great beer. Their 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 current director of brewing ops, Chase. He came from New Glarus. Really smart dude. I really respect the beer that he makes. Um, I'm going to learn a lot working with him. So they, they actually hired me into his role, and he's taking another role above that. They do have the second location they're opening in Westchester. Um, and so um, I'm really looking forward to, to joining that team and stuff as well. But this is, this is, a, this is a bittersweet thing. So, um, yeah, this is like one of the real last things that I'm doing here. So, um Anyways, cheers. Uh, that's a good question. Am I going to do stuff like this over at Sonder? I need to get my feet under me for sure and see where we're at and then just really see. They've, they've been supportive of me doing stuff like this because, I mean, you, you never know. Um, this is atypical for those of you that don't know. I, I do a channel where I show brew days, like behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, I used to be a teacher, so I do stuff uh, like tutorials for people interested in getting into the industry or trying to learn more about the pro side, stuff like that. And um, so there, there's a wide range of stuff that I do. And, um, you know, some people, you know, I've had, you know, Saucy was very supportive of it. 
Um, obviously, the original our, our owners of Cartridge allowed me to do it. Um, and then uh, they're, they're supportive of it as well. But I'm, I'm going to have to get my feet under me a little bit there and, and kind of figure out what's going on there. But it, it's possible that I, that I might do something like this over there as well. Um, but yeah, since the beginning, since 2020, August of 2020. So this is just three years. So yeah, it's the first, first brewer here. So, but good news is, is we do have uh, what I like to joke around. Josh is my assistant who has now been promoted to head brewer. Josh is uh, maybe one of the best people I've ever trained into the industry. Good man, hardworking, intelligent, kind, good. Like I'm my I, I, kids that are getting older. If, if if you have a single daughter, and and she brings Josh home, you're all right with it. I'm not joking. Like Josh makes me like. Josh says things like in his mid twenties that I just started to say when I got into my forties, like old soul, good dude, uh, talented guy. So Josh is going to be back here, um, which is great. I joke around like whenever he's brewing, whenever he gets, he's, he's extra, he's introverted. I'm a little bit extroverted, but when he, but when he gets on the brew, de brew deck, I call it the big rig. And so he'll be up there he gets excited, man. You know, like he's excited to do it. And, and so I start calling him like Big Rig Josh. Oh, look at Big Rig Josh up there. He's all, he's moving. He's moving to the music. He cracks me up. So he gets all pumped up, you know, when, it, when he's doing Brew Day stuff. But, but Josh is still going to be here. Um, talented, great, great dude. And, and they're going to be, they're going to be making some awesome beers here. So, um, yeah, I have no doubt, no doubt about that. So, yeah, it'll be a big change. But, uh, but yeah. So anything else before we wrap up? All right, everybody. Everybody that was online, uh, thanks for thanks for joining. Um, and I'll have some stuff coming up later this month with Cole Hackbarth from Rheingeist Brewing. We'll be interviewing him for our monthly Q&A. A couple days after that, that is September 1st, I believe. And then on September 4th, we will be doing the September Q&A. So put that on your calendars and I will see you later. Have a great night.